All right, John chapter 7, friends. Gospel of John. Father, we pray once again for sanctification by your word. We recognize it as truth. And we pray in alignment with Jesus that you would sanctify us. That we would receive this truth and come into alignment with it. And if this truth were to expose any deceptions, any compromises, any counterfeits, any rebellions in us, that we would have the courage and the conviction to repent and return to you. We pray your word be done as we study the scriptures. Would you open them, unlock them, give us wisdom and understanding, the things you have for your saints at NCC today in Jesus' name. All right, John chapter 7, starting in verse 37, says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke, I'm sorry, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we know that that Spirit was given when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So this is the eighth day of tabernacles, I suppose, right? I'm, I'm actually just guessing. I'm not sure. I'll have to look into that. It's obviously the last day of a feast. Um, but what we made mention of last week regarding this text is the the reference to the the promise that those who believe on Christ, as the scriptures have said, will have rivers of living water flowing from them. <laughs> then we went to Revelation tw chapter 22 and read verse 1 that teaches from where that river proceeds. And thus we have this incredible image that I drew on the board. Because Revelation 21, I'm sorry, 22 verse 1 says... And he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb. So the, the two we put together to give us just a great visual, a picture, that the river of living water is proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb, but it is clearly proceeding, as Jesus says, or the invitation is for it to proceed through those who believe in Jesus. So, um, so the body of Christ ends up becoming essentially this like touch point between heaven and earth. Or this vessel through which the things of God flow from heaven into the earth. That's a 
That's a pretty awesome picture. That's a pretty awesome understanding of, for me, how all ministry is intended to, to work. And the reason I believe the Lord is returning us to this, we've, we've, um, you know, we've studied this in the past. I think the reason we're coming back to it is, is because he's further giving us understanding on the sanctification process almost always being about removal or, or subtraction or pruning. It's because... Um, it's because we are not the source of what the world needs. We are not the source of what our spouse needs. We are not the source of what our kids need or the checker at Walmart or the coworker on the job site. We, we do not, they don't have, I'm sorry, they don't need what we have, right? They need what God has for them. And so God's just giving us understanding. If, if you wanna, if you want to be the vessel through which what they need is delivered, I'm showing you that you got to be a pure vessel. And the extent to which you embrace the sanctification process or the transformation process or the discipleship process or the growth process, biblically speaking, we are conformed further and further into the image of Christ who was the perfect pure vessel. This is why God's work in us so frequently through the Holy Spirit is, that's not for you, that's not for you, that's an idol, that's a deception, that's a rebellion, that's a compromise. It's that conviction of the things that we have that are present, uh, preventing this flow from happening, kind of jamming up the flow. Does that make sense? We're all tracking. So, so um, for us, we prayed to love as Jesus loved, to, to be givers of agape love, intentional, selfless in nature, not deterred by conditions, ultimately sourced by God and for the purpose of harvest or growth in the body encouragement in the body for us to love as Jesus loved the sanctification process must be continuously um, embraced and and walked out so that the things that prevent that love from being released can be exposed repented of and eliminated so let me let, let's give an example of um, of what's possible an example of what's possible Luke chapter 8 verse 43, if someone wants to read that for us, a text that we're all very familiar with, I'm sure. Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 47.
Okay, so this is a pretty re remarkable story. And um, I think this story is best recognized for how remarkable it is if our desire would be to replicate how Christ healed this person. Right? If, if your desire was to look at this as a story of healing and say, I want to do that, let me, let me look at the details, let me look at the technique that was used, let me look at the words Jesus used, let me look at exactly how he went about healing this gal, um, that'd be, a, that'd be a, a troubling thing to do, right? That would be a difficult thing to do. Why? Because the healing happened almost um, outside of his intentions, right? He was touched from behind. The, the text says that when she touched him, she was already immediately healed. And then he perceived that power had flown, flowed from his body, right? So if you're looking for a technique, if you're looking for the right words, if you're looking for some way to learn this, you're going to find this story pretty, pretty challenging, right? Maybe even difficult to interpret. So um, good biblical hermeneutics is just allowing scripture to interpret scripture. And kind of hermeneutics 101 is allow simple texts to help interpret more difficult texts. All right, so this is a great example. We can apply that. If we want to properly interpret what just happened right there, let's go to a, let's go to a text that's very, very clear as we read it. Okay, at, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Someone read that for us. Acts 22. I'm sorry, Acts 2, verse 22. Jackson M., you got that one? Acts 2, verse 22. Just verse 22. So what does Peter say there? Listen to what Peter says. We're using this text as a very simple, clear, easy to read, straightforward text to interpret the story that we read. Okay, the story that we read was someone came up from behind Jesus, touched just his clothes, and somehow was healed in that. Jesus' only perception of it was feeling power flow, flow, flow from his body. This is what Peter says, men of Israel, he, hear the, these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God what? Did through him in your midst. Is that a pretty clear text? What is that text saying? God did the miracle. He did it through Jesus. That's a very clear text, very easy to understand. And we can use that text to then interpret what we read in Luke chapter 8. Right? 
that God healed that woman through Jesus. Are we all clear? Now, why, why are we um, hammering this? Well, let me, let me point out, um, in the New Testament, there is not a single instruction or a teaching on the gifts and how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. All right? Listen, listen to me. In the entire New Testament, there is not a single instruction on how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, furthermore, there's, there's not a single example of anyone in the New Testament teaching someone else how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. In, in other words, how to do them. So, so we got to ask the question, why is that? What, what, is, what, are we, what are we being shown? What is the Spirit of God trying to, trying to hammer home to us? Because he wants us to understand the removal process within sanctification clearly. That's what this is about. Why does God remove? Why does sanctification include removal almost always? Why does he tear down and uproot and pull down and destroy before he plants and builds? Why is the primary work of the Holy Spirit conviction in our own lives? Why is the primary work of the Holy Spirit pruning in our own lives? We're getting to the, we're getting to the heart of it. We are, we are not the source of what God wants done in the earth. Exactly. This is the heart of the issue. Right? The pride of man wants to heal people. Listen to me. The pride of man wants to prophesy. The pride of man wants to speak in tongues. The pride of man wants to operate in the gifts. Right? Are the gifts real? Yes. Let's read them real quick. They're absolutely real. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. One of the places in which they are mentioned is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Someone please read for us nice and loud verses 7 through 11. Amen. So the gifts of the Spirit are real. They're all listed right there. I think there's like seven of them or nine of them, something like that. They're real. And they're available. And they're given to the body of Christ that all might profit from them, that all might be edified, that all might be encouraged, that all might be corrected, that, that our witness might be strengthened by these gifts. Okay, is healing one of those gifts? Absolutely. Right? And, and healing as well as all the rest of the gifts work the exact same way. So that's why we can look at the example of Jesus healing someone and say that was a gift of the Spirit. 
And guess what? What does the text teach us? Jesus did not get credit for that healing. It went out from him. The text says that God did the healing through Jesus. Right, Jackson? And that was Jesus. So what do you suppose is true of the rest of us? We also don't get credit. Meaning what? We are not the source. And because we are not the source, this is not a technique thing or a knowledge thing. Right, Susie? That's why there's zero instruction on technique to operate in the spirit or operate in the gifts of the spirit. Zero. Not a single example of any of the apostles who all operated in those gifts teaching other people how to do them. There was not one conference to come and learn how to prophesy. Not one workshop, not one supernatural school of ministry that said, come pay your 169 for the weekend and we will teach you how to prophesy. Why? Because it can't be taught. Why? Because it's not a technique. Why? Because we are not the source. You cannot go to someone and receive an impartation for healing, guys. It's never happened once in scripture. You cannot learn how to heal. You cannot learn how to heal people, guys. This is what the Word of God teaches. You do not heal anybody. God heals, and if you will allow Him, He will heal through you. But what does that take? It is not technique. This is super important in our generation because this stuff happens all the time. There are people making money hand over fist by these supernatural schools. They're all over. They were literally happening in this community. Right? In, in Acts chapter 8, right, when Simon the sorcerer come and sees people, lay, sees the apostles laying hands on people and then being baptized in the spirit, what did Simon say? I will give you money if you teach me how to do that. Literally what's happening right now. Ident absolutely identical. And what does Peter say to him? Repent of your wickedness. Your heart is totally wrong. If you think you can go and buy the gifts or buy the techniques to operate in the gifts or buy the secrets to be able to heal your heart is totally wrong. Why? Full of pride. You think it's about you? I think it's about me. We think we're the source. We think we're the reason. We want to build ourselves up. Holy cow. But all of, none of this is to bash those schools, even though they're absolutely nonsense. What are we talking about? What does it take to operate in the gifts? Because guess what? To release agape love, you know what that could look like? Healing someone with a flow issue. Healing someone that's blind. Healing someone that's deaf. We pray for Jacob's ears, right? Is it possible that God would heal his ears through our, us in the laying on of hands? If the Bible's true. Would, would Diane get credit for that healing? Right? Agape love could take the form of any one of those gifts. A word of knowledge a word of faith, an encouragement, a prophecy, whatever the other ones are that I'm forgetting. 
Those things are sourced from the lamb and from the throne. And they flow through a vessel who is pure. Since Jesus was the unblemished lamb, which means what? He walked without jam, without pollution, without idolatry, without pride, without deception. He was a pure vessel. His unblemishedness was not primarily about his legs not being broken on the cross. It was about his perfection walking in God's ways. So as a vessel, he was the perfect example of the, of the link between heaven and earth, the bridge between heaven and earth. And what happened everywhere he went? God's will flowed through him in signs and wonders and miracles along with perfect teaching and preaching and all the examples of agape love that he walked in. Right, so this entire teaching and this entire point is to recognize that if we are desiring to walk in this agape love, if we are desiring to be vessels through which this love flows, saints, we are not going to learn any techniques because that's not ever been done before. We're not going to learn any magic secrets. We're not going to learn any secret incantations. We're not going to learn how to hold our hands on people to pray for them. We need to hear what the Spirit is saying, is, and that Spirit is saying is, if you desire to have those things flow through you, you need sanctification. Why? Because by being sanctified, you will be less jammed up. And this is precisely why, and this is, man, once you get your head around this, you'll never, ever look at God's commandments the same. Once you get your head around all of his commandments, every one of his laws, every one of his commandments, all of his instruction, his precepts, his judgments, his statutes, all of them, the ones that come from God, not religion of man, not traditions of man, but the ones that are written, all of the ones that are written from God are given to us so that we can walk in that purity so that we can walk in that freedom as a vessel to release what God wants. Man, it just, looks, it just makes his ways change so much. It's no longer religious rules. You know, it's no longer bondage. It's no longer captivity. It's all only freedom. Freedom to walk in this purity that Jesus walked in. And so that's why you see in the, in the text the law and love constantly going hand in hand. It's why virtuous living always leads to agape love, right? It's why, 1 John chapter 3, why the sons of God are made manifest by what two things? Practice righteousness and love of the brethren. They're always together. As you walk in God's ways, as you practice righteousness, as you embrace virtuous living, as you keep God's commandments, Slowly but surely, we are rid of all of the things that jam the flow. And then what happens? Slowly but surely, the flow just starts to happen, right? That's why I love the example in Luke 8 with Jesus, you know, and the woman from behind. It, 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 you know, his flow was so constant 
it could happen without him even being aware of it. I mean, how beautiful is that? It's just like an open door of, of God's love just pouring, constantly pouring. And that's the invitation. I'm totally convinced. So to the extent that we walk in that, will always and only be an outflow of greater purity, greater holiness, greater obedience. Not because it makes us better, not because we get to earn the right to do this, but because it, it's, the, it's, it's the ridding of all the stuff that gets in the way. So as a couple weeks ago I prayed, I just wanna love more, right? And as you pray, the same as you ask for the gifts which guess what we're encouraged to do that recognize what the answer is going to be it's never ever ever going to be go to Bethel, Bethel's school of supernatural ministry that's never going to be the answer the answer is always only going to be okay now let's get to work get to work learning a technique nope get to work on your own junk Because as you get to work on your own junk and go through the ongoing process of repenting, confessing, returning to God, pruning, walking out the prescriptions of the holy days, which is a, one of the primary ways in which we go about doing this, sanctification happens, the vessel is purified, holiness has began to walk in, and the flow just as natural. Spirit of of God flowing through us, river of living water flowing through us, watering our spouse with encouragement and edification, watering our kids with correct discipline and love and nurturing, watering our coworkers with the gospel, however they need to hear it. It's such a beautiful picture, a beautiful understanding of how it makes sense that Christ would say that those who believe in him will do what he did and even more. It makes sense why he said, I got to go because when I go, now the Holy Spirit can come. Right? It's a whole new understanding of ministry. And it's exactly why the Lord has taught us, don't, don't plan what to say. Right? I'm gonna, it's going to flow through you. The words will be given to you at that time. So I ask... Um, what do I got to do to love more? And, and God reveals pride to me. Pride, pride in the form of selfishness. And I'm convinced, or I believe po the possibility that that's not just for me, um, that that's for more than just me. It's, it certainly is for me. And, uh, and, um, and the Lord is being very clear that as I see pride and self-centeredness pruned from my life I will love more the, the flow will be there more so um, so today we're going to discuss um, identifiable fruit if you have pride or when you have pride because I think perhaps this is for more than just me alright so for the first one we're going to look at Luke 18 might have might have read this on your own it was kind of part of the homework but if you didn't well we're going to read it out loud right now and then we're just going to make observations so the purpose of the rest of this teaching is to identify 
different fruit that comes from pride, different fruit that comes if you have pride. Jesus says the only way to know anything is to judge the fruit, right? So the only way that you or I are going to know if we have pride in our life is to have the courage to judge the fruit. If we see the fruit that the scriptures tell us is the fruit of having pride, that's when it's time to respond. Okay? So first one is um, a specific type of pride. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Someone want to read that for us? Extortioners. Thank you. Unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, so the first type of pride we're gonna we're gonna deal with and look at the fruit fruit of is spiritual pride, right? And in the three types of or areas of pride or or um, kind of categories under that heading that we're gonna look at today are spiritual pride, vain conceit, selfish ambition, and we're gonna recognize that all of these need to be addressed because all of them jam us up, right? Please know, whenever we talk about sanctification, whenever we talk about obedience, whenever we talk about repentance and returning to the Lord, it's never for earning salvation. It's never for self-righteous reasons. It's always only so that we can be purified so the flow can take place, right? Any other gospel is accursed to be taught. And I, and I just wanna be, I. I think we're all in agreement there, but I just always want to make sure this is only for those who are born again and only for those who are understanding that we are not the source of God's goodness in the earth. We are only the vessels through which it flows. So any correction in our life is to be better vessels. These things jam us up. First one is spiritual pride. And what do you recognize in this, in this parable? What is the fruit of spiritual pride? What's that? Yep. What's that, Kirby? Comparison. Comparison. Good. Yep. Good. So this guy's got two focuses. His primary focus is everyone else's sin. Okay, absolutely, in my humble opinion, one of the first and primary fruits of spiritual pride is when you are super busy focusing on everyone else's sin. That just screams spiritual pride. 
And that's the first thing this guy mentions. The second thing is if you put any focus on your own obedience, right? If you hang your hat on what you do right and focus all your attention there, that also is a fruit of or leads to spiritual pride. So it was mentioned, which, which is why this, you know, your testimony was so perfectly in alignment with this sermon, the, the, the whole plank in the eye piece, right? To, to, to spend any amount of our energy focusing on other people's sin, oh, it's just, that's the worst possible place to be. It is such a deception. It causes so much division and breaks or, or um, quenches so much love when all we can see in other people is what they're doing wrong. Right? Especially if it is um, undergirded by I'm doing that part right. Okay? Judge the fruit in your life. It's, all, it's a time to be honest. It's a time to... to um, recognize if, if, if you've got some of this going on. Spiritual pride, manifesting primarily in being hyper-focused on sin in other people's lives or being hyper-proud of obedience in your own life. The fruit of spiritual pride, okay? The second one we're gonna go to, any other observations from that teaching, by the way? Did we cover it all? All right, the next one comes from, um, this is the one the Lord really convicted me with, Philippians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4, please, if someone wouldn't mind. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So this was the specific text that the Lord took me to when I asked the question, what do I got to do to love more? He was revealing to me uh, pride manifesting primarily in selfishness or self-centeredness. And, um, you know, the one, the, the one um, recognizing that the, the fundamental example of agape love or expression of agape love, according to what's written, is what? to lay one's life down for another, right? There are at least three places in the text where that is literally the definition given of love. By this we know what love is, to lay one's life down for another. And I would speculate that most of the body of Christ, when we read that and hear that text, we immediately jump to actually dying for someone. You know, I think that's just a natural place to go with that text, and especially when it talks about Christ's example of that. Um, but I think in reality, um, it's really much more about 
a life sacrifice um, rather than a death sacrifice. Like to lay your life down for others every day in how you live, to lay my life down for my wife, to lay my life down for my kids, to lay my life down for this congregation every day might actually be much more difficult than a death sacrifice at one time. Right, so this is one of those, um, this is one of those just simple texts that just kind of puts it in a way that to me just kind of lit me up. And it was you need to esteem others or consider others above yourself. And that just got real personal for me, as I've said, like kind of right when you get home from work. That is your example, Eric, especially as it relates to my wife and kids of now you have a, a, an opportunity to, to have that life sacrifice, that living sacrifice. And how do I go about doing that? Consider their needs above my own. Look after their interests and not just your own. Right, that is a humble position. That is a lowly position according to the text. That is, a, that is um, the outflow of a heart that essentially says my life is to be for them. based on how I live and love and lead, right? So, so if what the Lord is telling us is that type of a, of a love is intended to flow through you to your wife and to your kids, so what's he teaching us? In order for flow to be increased, something's gotta be removed. And in this case, Pride is the sort of general category, but it actually mentions two things that you can't have, you can't walk in. Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but esteem others better than yourself. So this is, to me, the Lord saying, okay, this is what needs to be removed. There's categories of pride that need to be exposed. One category, Selfish pride, uh, I'm sorry, spiritual pride. Another category, according to the text, is vain conceit. All right, so, so I just uh, did a kind of a word study on those. My primary source was um, practical word studies in the New Testament. Just this big volume um, by Alpha Omega Ministries, really cool resource to, to, um, to do like individual word studies. So I just did one on each of these words. So um, I'll go through this really quick. Recognize that this is a word study interpretation. All of it's complete, you know, complete with references to scripture, but this is still a word study interpretation. Um, but the word vain in some scripture or some, some translations have the word conceit and others have the word vain conceit. So I just took the, the, the vain conceit, the two word one. Um, vain means useless, empty, worthless, futile, foolishness or meaningless. And conceit means arrogance, swelling, proud, high-minded, haughty or puffed up. So in general, this was the, this was the interpretation. It's based on three different um, scriptures, but in general, a conceited person feels that they are better than others. The fruit that often accompanies 
conceit is disorder or disturbances based on 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 20. Disputes, controversies, and quarrels based on 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4. They are lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of ple pleasure based on 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. That is the... That is the um, every time vain... Uh, or conceit is cross-referenced in the epistles. These are the these are the words that are connected to it, the words that are associated to it. So when we read it in the text and say do nothing out of vain conceit, it's just really easy to go over those. I I think digging into it and say, all right, what does that really mean? Or more specifically to this teaching, what is the fruit that that might be in place? This is very important. Nobody in this room is going to stand up and say, I think I'm better than everybody else. I feel like I'm more important than everybody else. Right? That's not likely to happen. So what we got to do is look at the fruit. Right? So there will be fruit around you. There will be fruit manifesting in your life if you have conceit that the scriptures teach. And what is that fruit specifically? You will have disorder and disturbances. You will have disputes, controversies, and quarrels. You will be a lover of self, a lover of money, and a lover of pleasure. All of those make great sense to me. What is it the manifestation of? Thinking that you're the center of the universe. Right? A three-year-old has this at birth. And at three, they've yet to do anything about it. And what is a three-year-old going to do? Whatever they want. Right? Because they are the absolute center of their universe. And they will go after whatever gives them pleasure. Right? They will cause disturbances and chaos, chaos until they get it. And there will be quarreling. Yes. Absolutely beautiful observation. Absolutely. And that's yep. So, which leads to selfish ambition. So, selfish ambition, um, words cl most closely associated with it self seeking, contentious disputes and factions. Uh, self, the, the, the um, interpretation, again, based on scripture, connecting dots where this word's where this used and the fruit surrounding where this word is used. Selfishly, uh, the selfishly ambitious uh, will not obey the truth and often does not like what God has to say. He will wrangle and wrestle and fight against God, believer, but they believe that certain rules will not apply to them and they will refuse to surrender to God's will. That's based on Romans 2, chapter 8. They are often impatient, unkind, and indifferent. In the church, selfish ambition causes debates, envying, strife, and divisions. 
It's, it's, um, it's because ambition is basically a strong desire or determination to achieve, and therefore selfish ambition is strong desire or, or uh, determination to basically, with basically self as the target. It is, it is the ultimate fruit of self-idolatry, selfish ambition is. Selfish ambition is more or less thinking, I am God. And because I am God, all of my ambition and all of my determination and all of my desires is going to be about what I want. So uh, the fruit of selfish ambition is the idol of self, or self is the primary idol. When self is the primary idol, doing whatever you want to get whatever you want causes us to ignore God's ways and to see people as a means to an end. It's pretty easy, obviously, to see how both vain conceit and selfish ambition, if the ultimate expression of love is to give our life to others, is to consider ourselves lower than others and give our life to their interests and their needs and so on and so forth, it's very easy to see how vain conceit and selfish ambition are basically the exact opposite. It is everyone is here to serve me. It is what I want. It is what I need. And I will break God's law, God's commandments to get them. I will use people to, to, to get them. I will have no patience for anyone that won't align with that. And it's basically just a self-focused, self-centered, self-driven world. So, so God says, um, do nothing out of those two things. Nothing. Do nothing out of those two things. And if you do nothing out of those two things, then you will esteem or consider others above yourself. Then you will look after their interests above your own. So the, so, so the, the, um, the moment that we are in right now is examine the fruit. And that's the biggest moment. That's actually the moment where something will happen or nothing will happen. Because if we have the courage to examine the fruit, right, not the words, vain conceit and selfish ambition, just easy to push off, easy to shrug off, easy to be deceived into thinking, I got none of that. This is why the fruit has to be revealed. Uh, inspected and and that's where all the the conviction comes. If I have, I'll read them one more time. If I have disor disorder or disturbances, disputes, controversies, quarrels. If I'm a lover of self, a lover of money, a lover of pleasure. If I have um, a resistance to obeying the truth. If I will. Um, not apply rules that I don't agree with or I don't be believe uh, apply to me, if I will not re surrender to God's will, if I am impatient, unkind, or indifferent, if as a result of me there are debates or envying or strife or divisions, we've got conceit or selfish ambition. And I will easily and without hesitation stand before this congregation and say, I actually have all three. I have spiritual pride, I have vain conceit, and I have selfish ambition. And so when you um, have the courage to, to see and, and admit that, then what do we do? 
Yes, ma'am. I was just going to say, is there any wisdom in thinking that, um, I'll use our hospitals as an example and us as an example, uh, and it's a very, I'm going to say it's a very scary place to go, uh, to say we could be absolutely uh, in a place where, let's say our household is just, it's chaotic all the time, and we just think that that's our normal, so that's just us. When I hear that word, yeah, um, I think it can be very easy for for us to be deceived mm-hmm. and think that because it has always been a normal part of, let's say, a personality or me, that I might not see it the right way. Right. So the scary place would be to say, uh, I guess, which we've done this before, we've been in this position before, where it's um, what fruit do you see in mine? Absolutely. And the moment I'm finding a defensive behavior, that should be an absolute indication of the fruit existing in our Absolutely. life. And even in a household, and so I guess where I'm asking is, is there wisdom beyond or after self-reflection Absolutely. to have marital reflection and um, household reflection and potentially even if there are people that know you well enough that you would receive even though you have to be prepared that you will defend. Does that What's sense? y'all's answer to that? <laughs> where are we as a conversation of that? <laughs> What's your guys' answer to that question? Absolutely. It'll take a ton of courage, but 100%. That's, that's absolutely, that's the most mature step you could take. Especially if you're looking around and like, I don't see any of that in my life. <laughs> I don't. Know. You know, that... Absolutely. And that will help to put the action of correction yes. in your life. Okay. So when it is revealed, what is the action of correction? Repent. Okay, it's repent. Guys, don't ever think it is, that it's try harder. That's absolutely not what the scriptures teach. I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Who does the pruning? God does. Okay, so what is our part to play? We repent, we ask for forgiveness, and we, and we ask for it to be pruned. Right? It's a supernatural thing sanctification is. Will we have to put in the effort to walk it out? Absolutely. Right? And there is effort, and there is hard work, and there is discipline and determination involved in walking it out. But, but, but I don't try harder to be less prideful. I got I to gotta ask God to, to, to prune that, right? So, so there is a very intimate piece to this that we don't do congregationally, that, we, that, we, um, that doesn't come through with the sermon. It's, it's now you gotta, you, you gotta have the courage to judge the fruit, and if, and if the conviction of the Spirit comes, which is the, almost the entire ministry of the Holy Spirit, John 16, convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. If the conviction comes, either because you see the fruit or you have the courage to invite your spouse um, to inspect and she sees the fruit or your kids or your, or your friends. If the fruit is seen and the conviction comes, you repent and you return on your knees before the father and ask for forgiveness and for that thing to be pruned. And by God, he, he will. He is faithful to do that part. And this is how sanctification happens. And this is how 
purification happens and this is how we are matured and this is how we are grown up and this is how as as jesus says when 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 things are cut off and when things are pruned it's why it's so that good fruit can come it's so that the flow can increase it's so that the river of a living water can proceed we're 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 exposing these things to to be rid of them because they're jamming us up right and pride saints is probably the thing that jams up more of the church than anything else i honestly believe that i think it's more damaging than idols like um you know like addictions i think it's more damaging than those i really do it's such a secret undercover fleshy thing to have spiritual pride or to have selfish ambition vain conceit they're all just the opposite of agape so so it's a big big deal and that's why i think this is the first one the lord is highlighting for us i know it was for me and and if it was for anyone else my encouragement is to do not waste this moment do not waste this moment do not waste today if it if it if it needs to be today then allow it to be today judge the fruit where you see in need pruning or removal act on it the act of getting on your knees and asking for forgiveness and repenting it just accomplishes something so much so I would say that to feel something right now in your heart and not go through that process is a complete waste of this sermon waste of this moment maybe no different than than someone in Israel saying yeah um, I do believe I should mark my home by the blood, um, but I, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll do it later. Or I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but don't go do it. We got to act. So Holy Spirit, convict where it needs. I pray for soft hearts and open ears. And for your will to be done. I pray for courage for this congregation to respond to what the spirit of the living God is speaking to each of us individually in Jesus name I pray for an act of faith to be walked out an act of belief and obedience to be walked out by everyone in Jesus name Amen.